<laughs> oh wait, Hillary's America, it, it's its Metacritic score has gone up. To okay. what? To what? It's, it's now at a two. Oh God, damn! It was it was at a one. God, Dinesh D'Souza, he's <laughs> new next Orson Welles. <laughs> um, he's on his way. At this rate, he will be at a three. Oof. Soon. Next, so before we know it, he'll be at an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Walking on Eggshells during the movie, uh, the show where two jackoffs very carefully try to uh, peaceably and intelligently discuss the new Ghostbusters film. I'm Mike. <laughs> and I'm James. And this is episode number 51, uh, Hillary's America, the secret history of Mike and James. What have we been up to this whole time? Oh, man. Uh, well, uh... We're two jackoffs, so we were, you know, jerking off. And, uh, <laughs> just got so busy. Well, I don't know, James. Why don't, why don't you? Why don't, oh why? yeah, that's actually a really good. I didn't even think like, you. What have, what have What have I been doing? Is the best question. Um, so one, I've been moving. Uh, you know, on our last episode, we were lamenting the idea that we wouldn't get to talk to the Rogue One thing, the Rogue One trailer that was slated to come out on Friday. July 15th, which was also the date that I was going to move. Now, on July 14th, the day before I was going to move, my computer decided that starting up wasn't really its thing anymore. Like, it, it tried that for, you know, it had a long time, and it's like, well, I just want to I just want to take a break. So, uh, after repeatedly, repeatedly contemplating suicide, because my computer wasn't working <laughs> you know just trying everything i could and feeling like i was smashing my head against a brick wall and you know wanting to actually smash my head up against a brick wall i'm here with a working computer but it's about like what is it uh, two weeks since we last recorded yeah it's been two weeks we only we only missed one show it's true we only missed one show except the I can tell you don't really go to our website very often because when <laughs> the, the on on July fourteenth when my computer decided it wouldn't start up, I left work. Well, I left lunch to go back to work, saying like, "Okay, there's only a little bit left of editing to do. I don't have to finish it right now. I should go back to work, so I'm not late." And when I get back from work is when my computer doesn't start up. So I actually only just finished editing that episode. Oh my god! <laughs> where we reviewed Secret Life of Pets. Well, I knew it. You didn't post it. I knew you didn't post it right away because I knew your computer broke. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't know. It's... All right. <laughs> yeah, got... it was seriously like, oh no, I can just do this later. Uh, got home, couldn't do it. <laughs> okay. So I've actually just posted it like today. I think I didn't really like publicize it or anything, but it's on our website. I'm gonna do like a big like double post for it and uh yeah but i'm sad because it's like oh it's july 27th i'm gonna post a review of secret life of pets and mike and dave need wedding dates mike and dave. <laughs> yeah um no it was actually but- it was actually so long ago that when i was editing it you know i was like okay i can just run through the timestamps real fast while while i'm editing it and i'm like fuck 
I don't remember what we talked about. Like, I knew Secret Life of Pets, and I for- completely forgot that about we did Mike and Dave. Dave. These are two, I mean, look, you have to keep in mind, these are two very forgettable movies. Really. They really are, yeah. I mean, so, I knew Secret Life of Pets because that was just like, I mean, I think the, well, the title was The Revenge of Kitty Galore, so it was a giveaway. But. <laughs> yep. Um, plus, I think that was like kind of the main, but Secret Life of Pets is at least kind of like memorably dumb, you know? Like, it's... Well, yeah, I, I will always remember it as that time that Illumination tried really hard to do what Pixar did. Uh, tried really I, hard. I think they. I I think of it. No, we've already had this discussion, but I think of the. I think of it. Think of it as them uh, trying to hotwire Pixar's old, broken down car that they stopped <laughs> twenty years ago, uh, so that they could be silly in it. And yeah, I you know. We have right. some There's different... going to be an appearance by Merlin oh, in the background. There's Merlin. Yeah. And yeah, he was actually... He's getting really good at almost opening doors. Because <laughs> we have those those handles that you could just have to pull down. And he, like, stretches up there with his little paws and pulls down on it. I wonder uh, I wonder if eventually... I wonder if it eventually it'll just... Your, you know, your cat will just slowly get more intelligent. And eventually it'll just be like, my intelligence is expanding at an ever increasing rate <laughs> and i'm just becoming more in tune with the universe and we'll look at each other uncomfortably like we did during the movie her pulls like an independence day thing and it's <laughs> like i've deciphered your primitive language yep we're primitive <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i the other day i was i kim was in our bedroom napping and i was out in the living room and Merlin was, like, scratching at the door, and my first instinct was to say, like, no, stop doing that. And then I realized he was almost about to open the door, and I had this weird, like, watching a raptor open the door for the first time, like, in Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park, Flashback. yeah. Yeah, I was like, wait, I need to see if he can do this. <laughs> I'm not even mad, that's amazing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, he's gotten so far as to be able to pull down the, the door handle, but it just it doesn't quite get all the way. So, we'll see, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Man, I mean, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not an internet review show if there's not an interrupting cat. <laughs> Seriously, try finding one internet reviewer who doesn't have some form of interrupting cat. Fuck, man, I'm just a. All right, I need, I need to get Albus in here. I'll be an interrupting double cat. One up everybody. Do what you gotta do, man. Cute little fuckers. <laughs> Uh, anyways, and buried in all that tangent was the Rogue One info. Well, fuck. You call that a tangent? After our last few shows, you call that a tangent. No, and in the last show, you were like, wait till you, wait till you edit this one. And I'm like, God, we're going on for like 15 minutes. (laughs) That was probably our worst. And I haven't even said like what we're going to review this week. So Mike did say we are going to talk about the new Ghostbusters movie while walking on eggshells because we don't want too much. I'm actually not going to walk on eggshells. Fuck that shit. Yeah, you know, it's true. Actually, you know what? Backlash against us all we want because there's literally no such thing as bad press. (laughs) Uh, Um, And we're also going to review Star Trek Beyond. I was this Um, close to political comment. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty close. (laughs) Anyway. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on, on air before, but I, I had a dream that Mike and I had a show that was called Talking Politics during the movie. <laughs> and uh, this we, week there was no actually there was no actual premise of what no actual facade of trying to talk about movies during the show. It was just Mike and I talking about politics the entire time. 
And the funny thing is, I this is the one week it could have it, it it could have really become a reality. I think we got it all out of our system before the show started. Um, mind you, we did get we did name this episode uh, with a political slant. So. Uh, you know, yeah. take that for what you will. It's not really intended to be a commentary on either on on the presidential race. Uh, more just fuck Dinesh D'Souza. <laughs> yeah, we normally don't do movies that have come out too recently, but I just thought that one, was, this one, was too perfect. <laughs> I, I, to go, I mean, Hillary Clinton was just nominated as. The I couldn't agree more, and uh, you know, it kind of goes with this, you know, with the girl power theme and. Uh, you know, we can talk about that a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I guess we'll fit Star Trek in there somehow. Okay, Elvis is here too, and he's okay. taking over the back half of my chair. Oh, great. It's fine. <laughs> it's, they're not gonna, they're not gonna stop. This is gonna be a constant thing you have to deal with all episode. <laughs> well, yeah, it's either that or let him, like, meow and claw at my door the entire episode, so. <laughs> great. That's alright, I'll just be petting kitties, this is nice, my focus will be on point. <laughs> really not uh not a bad preoccupation to have okay so we're gonna review ghostbusters we're gonna review star trek beyond uh we're gonna review these two kitties in front of me and right before that we're actually gonna talk about this rogue one nonsense that happened uh in the form of a celebration reel everyone thought it was gonna be a trailer uh that was about three minutes they're right about the time but not really right about the trailer it was just sort of a uh Celebration, a, a mm-hmm. preview, behind-the-scenes footage in, you know, cast interviews, director commentary, um, some actual movie footage. But uh, the real takeaway, though, is that it looks fucking awesome. It, I, I, I said, I, okay, so I've been out of comic-con news basically this whole week and even more so than me and i had to oh, yeah much i didn't so. even have a fucking computer no i know you have basically informed me of everything that's happened at comic-con i haven't even watched the justice league trailer like everyone's talking about it i have not seen it um and you just showed me uh you just sent me the rogue one reel just before we recorded this so i just saw it for the first time it looks fucking remarkable. I, I know you're doubling down, and I'm actually joining you on, on your claim now, and maybe we'll both be wrong on this. I'm, I'm joining you. I think that Rogue One has a significant chance of being much better even than uh, The Force Awakens, which, again, on the record, I love The Force Awakens. But, goddamn, this just looks so unlike... This just looks like the Star Wars film I've wanted to see since the original trilogy. Not a... in not resembling the original trilogy in such a direct way as the force awakens did, but doing something completely new with this universe, which I always think star Wars had more potential to kind of explore this universe more. And I mean, we've gotten that in some iterations. There's a shit ton of expanded universe books. There's uh, the clone wars animated series. And I love the original clone wars animated series, the 2d animated one. That's Mm -hmm. um, I, I love it. Um, when you're even touching on here uh, some things that Gareth Edwards himself said in the celebration reel, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where That's he said that he really loves Star Wars, this is a dream of his, but he, if he's too respectful of it, doesn't too respectful of it, doesn't do anything new or take any risks, then what is he bringing to the table? Which, <laughs> which of course, <laughs> yeah, um, and. Look, we've talked about that point a lot. I think South that, Park talked about that point. <laughs> I think it was really important for J.J. Abrams to basically let fans know that it's okay. You can trust. You can trust Disney. 
we'll, we'll, we we understand why you like Star Wars. He Force Awakens needed to come first. That was the movie that needed to get us to trust Star Wars again. Um, and now I think that they can, like, if if this if Rogue One holds true to what they're marketing it as and what it looks like to me, it's making good on the promise that they're going to take uh, this franchise in really awesome new directions that and like more fully explore the potential of this universe that I've wanted to explore more since the original trilogy and haven't really been able to yet. Um, also, I just want to point out, I'm really happy that what was released at Comic-Con was a, um, uh, was a footage reel and not just a straight up trailer because because it was a footage reel, we got to see a fair amount of behind the scenes stuff and um, pretty awesome insight into how some of the practical effects are done. All, all, basically reassuring viewers that yes, this is still going to be a largely practical, uh, th- this film is going to be filled with largely practical effects. Uh, one of my favorite things about the original trilogy is watching a lot of the behind the scenes featurettes. I kind of grew up watching them actually and seeing how different effects were done, how like whole sequences were storyboarded and, and uh, actually executed on film. Um, and it was actually really inspiring just from a filmmaking perspective to see that. Um, and to me, that's kind of what I got the, I got that feeling watching this, this real that which you wouldn't have gotten from a trailer. So I, really loved it it got me so excited and honestly if i hear one more people one more naysayer express concern about the reshoots i oh i feel like that story it's over over. i don't mean to be like sorry i don't mean to be harping on something that's like dead like a a harping on dead horse by now basically um but seriously i'm not concerned in the slightest and i wasn't at the time you know what i i had a thought too like not that this was the intention of the celebration reel but really this is like PR damage control like done right and the counterpoint to it was when DC invited a bunch of of film press to a big like wine and dine event at the (laughs) set of Justice League to explain to them how they're going to do it better this time and that just seems desperate whereas this was like look we know that you guys are concerned there's literally nothing to be concerned about here's some footage (laughs) Well, it's using, it's using the film to speak for itself. It's exactly, yeah. Itself. It's not a, it's not, a promise it's not a from bunch a of studio execs. head and Zack Snyder. Look, I don't care how convincing the studio executive is. If a studio executive is trying to convince you of something, I am inclined to not believe them. <laughs> uh, if you show me awesome footage um, and great, you know, what appear to be awesome performances in a really exciting looking film, I am much more inclined to believe you. So... And Gareth Edwards, who I am not confusing with another director this time. <laughs> Calls Trevorrow. God damn it. I'm so... Um, has proven himself to be awesomely confident. Er, confident. Competent. Mm-hmm. Please excuse me. Uh, in the past, I I actually rewatched his American Godzilla. It holds up pretty darn well. I, no, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, It's still forgettable, but I, I mean, you know, he's clearly he knows what he's doing as a director no that's a gareth edwards film you yeah, really very can't much mistake so. it yeah very much so um uh, so i'm i really have high hopes for it i do uh it looks great i 
I'm geeking out about it. I'm not ashamed to say it, man. It's it, it feels good to be a Star Wars fan again. I said that way too much, but yeah, yeah, no, and I don't want to dwell on it too often because it happened so long ago. But the point is, we are doubling down. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you heard Patton Oswalt's joke about the double town uh, at KFC? Oh God, no! <laughs> it's like they call it the double down, but they're literally saying that you you are gambling with your health. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's uh, so. not about tension. Okay. But, well, do we want to do the big news or we want to do the overall trend news? Um, which one segues easier into neither of them do, really? <laughs> um, uh, let's do the trend news. I feel like the big news, I'm just going to like flip. Because it blew my fucking mind when you told me. Yeah, yeah, it blew a lot of people's minds. Okay, so we're going to go with the more boring stuff. You could skip ahead. You know what? You have the timestamps in front of you if you want to yeah, see yeah, the, yeah. the good shit. But <laughs> um, for now, the this news story kind of flew into the radar, but it seemed like a big deal to me, and it seemed like it really pointed to a greater trend, and that's that uh, The Founder, a movie that we've talked about, an upcoming movie that we've talked about on the show before, starring Michael Keaton regarding the founder of, so to speak, of McDonald's, that movie originally slated for August, and that had me thinking, like, what are they really doing with this movie? Is mm-hmm. it, it going to be all that all that good? And then it got an awards season release. I was going to say re-release, but <laughs> it got pushed back to awards season, like, late December. So now they're propping this up, saying, hey, we have a contender on our hands. And that, to me, was like, okay, yeah, that's big news. And then I started thinking, what is this obsession that we have now? with biopics that we have had so much so that for the best actor category seven out of ten of the last best actor best actor winners and this is just winners not nominees winners were for biopics that's and and this is a trend that's really caught on in the last two decades and i i don't have the numbers because i researched this at like 2 a.m when i was kind of interested in it but then decided to stop researching it. I don't know. That was a stupid thing to say, but (laughs) um, you're you're fine. Yeah. Thanks. But yeah, it's really caught on that. It struck me that the Academy Awards are almost like the biopic awards at times. And that could, that's another reason why they're, they could be seen as irrelevant just because some of them are about people that the vast majority of people don't know or don't care about. And, but awards, the Academy and awards people and film community sort of eats it up a lot. And it's kind of, it's amazing how much we've fallen into formula is well, what I'll have to say about it. It's extra bananas because like, I mean, we parody that stuff. I mean, not like us personally, but just pop culture. We've caught on to that and it's just become such a cliche. We laugh at it. And you would kind of think that the Academy would at least have the, uh, per, you know the perceptive ability to understand that we realize they've fallen into a formula and to at least make some effort to fall out of it um, or I don't know I mean not in the same way that like you know oh we got to get more black people nominated it, it, it just like this is clearly something that they can't look past that apparently if you just check these particular boxes for what makes a, a good performance uh, some sort of physical transformation of an actor uh you know you know like you said a biopic role um you know 
if it's related to a topical issue like race relations or um, you know something like that, even better. And it's just kind of so like it's. I mean, it makes the category boring, like you had said before. It's, I mean, it's probably been the weakest of, of all the Academy Award categories. I think actors been the one that both of us have been least enthusiastic about for the last several award ceremonies. Well, yeah, because what the what the effect this really has is is eliminating spaces for genuinely new and interesting performances. Right. And you know, I I mentioned this in the pre-show, but we t- we talked about the year that fucking Eddie Redmayne one over over Michael that, Keaton. I think that's like the black mark year of the best actor category. Oh yeah, it was a major snub across the board. Was God. every single I think every single nominee that year besides Michael Keaton was a biopic role, unless I'm mistaken about that. Uh, I I don't think you're wrong about that. So I don't know, it was it was Eddie Redmayne, Cumberbatch, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Steve Carell, and uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah they, they were all, all biopic, biopic roles. roles except for uh, Michael Keaton as Birdman, who was just I mean that that had so much prestige behind it. It was nigh impossible to ignore. But the other roles that we agree were much you know, or were much better performances that year, like Tom Hardy and Locke, or uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler, or Jake Ray Gyllenhaal Fiennes. Nightcrawler, or Ray Fiennes. These were, original, these were original roles, and apparently didn't weren't attention grabbing enough because they didn't. I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know what's so appealing to them about. Bio, well, this is like, sort of, the, in my like, mind, like the real problem of originality in Hollywood. <laughs> like yeah. we don't recognize original characters. Like yes, I get it. These are. And a lot of times these are technically original screenplays. Again, a lot of times though they are adapted because they're adapted from like a book or a documentary or something like that, or mm-hmm. a series of articles sometimes. But um, yeah, it's and everyone's quick to point out like, oh, we're really doing sequels. It's like, yeah, but this it's more than just sequels. It's that we don't care and we don't reward people who make original characters and original ideas and original movies it just doesn't happen unless of course it's secret life of pets in which case here's a hundred million dollars yeah um <laughs> yeah i i guess it's i guess part of it has to do with the automatic prestige that goes along with a role based on an actual person like you don't have it's like you're to, playing something important yeah. Well, it's like it's like their role. It's kind of honestly, I think in a lot of ways, it's the same principle as franchising, where you don't have to prove the significance of this character. History's already done that for you. You just have to put it on film. Um, mind you, that's not an easy task. But the, like that's the thing. I think biopics regularly do it wrong, and they're even like even the ones that do it wrong are often rewarded for it. They like trivialize characters by turning them into a message. Um, and stripping away the actual person that uh, embodied that message. Um, so to me, you end up with weaker characters when you base them, I mean, in general, when you base them on an actual person, and yet they're often disproportionately rewarded for doing that. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's just that they don't have to prove to Academy members that this is a significant character. Whereas Ray Fiennes in Grand Budapest Hotel, even though it was a phenomenal character, incredibly well acted, and uh, more than deserved some recognition, uh, they just kind of viewed him as another quirky Wes Anderson figure. You know, we can't nominate him. It's just too weird. I, didn't, yeah. I, I know I understand I use the word quirky and Wes Anderson in the same sentence. I 
what the quirk I, master of quirk look i am i am speaking from the perspective of an academy member that's exactly how they view it um in my as a 20 something year old person who has never met an academy member in my life uh that really seems to be what's going on with that nomination process so anyway well and this but, has another effect on on the film industry in that because not only have the audience caught on to this this formula, but filmmakers and actors have caught on to it, and that's why you get so many like empty biopic movies, like uh, Black Mass, and oh, what God. appears to be the upcoming Snowden, and that last year's The awful. Walk, you that know, things like that. That would be awful. Yeah, just things <laughs> that just don't. They're they're trying to play to the Oscars, and it's it's like. Biopics are the new Oscar bait. Like Oscar bait used to be this big, like transformate, transformative Forrest Gump role, you know. But that's not what it is anymore. It's star in a biopic. You will probably get a nomination. I mean, I think even Forrest Gump was like a pandering role for the time, but it's just now. I think what the the criteria that the Academy is looking for is kind of shifted. I th- I honest to God think that the original sin of this, which is actually like one of the most amazing performances of all time, is uh. Uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Oh. I, I do. I Biopic role, physical transformation required. But, I mean, I think Quentin Tarantino said this about the performance. He never lets the fat do the acting for him. It's, yeah. <laughs> it is one of the most raw performances ever committed to film. It is, like, truly one for one of the great performances of all time. No question about it. It absolutely deserved uh, the Oscar that year, and it won. Um, but I think that's kind of the drug-induced high that the Academy has been chasing ever since. And every single, you know, like you said, it's particularly proliferating in recent ceremonies. And to me, it just seems like they're, you know, delving deeper and deeper into self-parody with that. Like they're just giving awards more and more to pandering crap or or at least uh, nominations. So, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of become the most uh it's it's i will say it has become uh the most impotent academy award uh, <laughs> of, of them all in my yeah, and this this really isn't replicated in best actress but i happen to think that's probably has more to do with the lack of films being made about historically yeah, that, significant women okay yeah no that i the women the best actress has a whole different set of problem which is basically can we find 10 or can we find five movies that had a really strong role for a woman in, yeah yeah exactly That's, um, it's, it's mind a you, shame that we can't but mind you some years are better than others i think last year was particularly great for uh, definitely yeah movie. it was a very female driven year last year and all the better for it was awesome um like but they were most part I, it, I mean that, that was coming off the 2014 which was unbelievably masculine mm-hmm. so you know, it's it varies from year to year, but in general, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's women are pretty drastically underrepresented, uh, or, or at least aren't given. I'm sorry, they're not given juicy roles. Well, no, and it, yeah, especially not like historic, his like real roles. You know, and on, well, when they are though, they're played by Meryl Streep, and they oh, win for oh. it. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, Meryl Streep should be barred from ever getting another nomination again. Look, she's <laughs> she's, she's she's a national treasure, whatever. I, I have no problem with her as an actress, but God damn. When you were giving her a nomination for Into the Woods, 
That could have gone to someone else. Oh, that could have gone to someone else in that same movie and would have been more justified. Like it's, bro. <sighs> anyway, you, you just said the woods. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, so James, let's go into the woods because uh, apparently I didn't know this. In a, I just I don't even know what's real anymore. Yeah, so the Mike and I are about to go into the woods. So earlier we, earlier in this year on one of our episodes, we went over a teaser trailer for The Woods by Adam Wingard and screenwriting by Simon Barrett, the same pair behind both Your Next and The Guest, which are some some of my most beloved horror movies of the past, well, of the 2010s, easy, of the past decade, probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're very very good and really they have a lot new to bring each genre that they represent so and then it come out that they're doing this horror movie called the woods uh found footage horror set in the forest um with only plot was a group of college students go into the woods and find out that they're not alone that is that was it um and it was supposed to the film was supposed to premiere at Comic-Con uh, and at Comic-Con the people went into the the showing of it there were posters everywhere for the woods and they walk right on in and they see it and as they're watching the movie something sort of clicking with them that they've seen a little bit of this before and not that the movie is completely unoriginal but when they get out of the movie, it's confirmed for them when they see it, but when they get out of the movie, all of the posters have been replaced with posters for Blair Witch, revealing that The Woods is actually a sequel to the original The Blair Witch Project, and it has been so for three years, and has been a secret for three years, until I, now. Yeah, I, you just laid this uh, bit of truth on me right before we recorded <laughs> and i was seriously disoriented when you told me that i'm like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. It, i mean look the woods i was setting up the woods in my mind to essentially be the next critically acclaimed horror movie like you know we had like the babadook and then it follows and then the witch and to me the woods was like next on the list like i mean we have varying opinions on them but like these are the horror films that just you know break through the crappy stereotypes of the genre and like you know you really need to see and think about and discuss and the woods was next on my list and now it's just i mean it's not that it's not on my list anymore it most certainly is but like yeah. i very i had a very different idea of what this movie was ultimately going to be so um and th- there's a really funny tidbit in here because that i heard about so last year uh a, a year ago Bloody Disgusting ran an article before everyone even heard about a movie called The Woods. Bloody Disgusting ran an article that say, saying that Lionsgate is working on a new horror film that's going to be marketed as The Woods, but will actually be a Blair Witch sequel. And this got uh, Adam Bar- I'm sorry, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett really nervous. Luckily for them, no, no other prominent website picked up the story, and all the comments on that bloody disgusting article were about how much of an idiot the author was, and how like his sources are stupid, and this is never going to happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> so God. they almost got busted a year ago, if only for 
everyone not being so skeptical. <laughs> it's it's kind of incredible because people look back to films like uh, you know The Sixth Sense or uh, you know Empire Strikes Back, um, and mind you that that's in the sense of a movie twist. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically say, you know, that's not possible now because in no way would, you know, with the internet and all this stuff, there, there's no way you keep it that well concealed from the general public. Um, and it, I just find it so fast. I and mean, this is obviously a, a different kind of secret, but it's kind of nuts that it was so well preserved uh, for such a long period of time with, su- I mean, as, as, much of a high-profile horror film director as we have today, I, I would say Adam Wingard is, you know, pretty prestigious in the horror genre. Yeah, I mean, he's up uh, there with, with James Wan right now, easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, just kudos to that, man. That that's that in and of itself is a pretty incredible accomplishment. Um, and, yeah, now I just... It, it, and like you said in our pre-show... This only made our found footage episode be destined to happen that much more. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, the film that really put found footage on the map was the Blair Witch Project, and we've been wanting to do one for a long time and figured the woods would be, uh, there'd be no better time than woods to do it. But apparently there is a better time because it's Blair Witch. We're coming full circle uh, with found footage and everything in between. And thing is like adam wingard has done some found footage before he with the vhs films which you still which i still want you to watch and i think we'll we'll have you watch them there's they're yeah, not all they're anthology films and not all the pieces of the anthology film are are really great or, or even good but <laughs> but still worth a watch but he's someone who is all along believed that found footage can be done right I want to do it good, and not like a not like a parody. Just I want to make this happen in a legitimate, scary way. And look, the Blair Witch is probably the best thing to, he could do the to prove his point. You know, if you can make if you can take the Blair Witch, revive a revive a movie that was really only terrifying because of its gimmick that people really couldn't discern at the time, and if you could turn that into you could build off that and make it into a legitimately scary movie, even though everybody knows that it's not real, then you win. Well, apparently it's become a cool thing to like shit talk the Blair Witch Project nowadays. I I think that movie gets an unbelievably uh, unfair rap nowadays. No, there's, there's a like, lot of good stuff in that movie. So. There's, a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in that movie, and I'm not even a fan of found, of found footage. And... Also, I mean, look, some people hate gimmicks at the movies. I think that the marketing and the original, like, that basically the context that they set up for uh, for that film, for, for people going into that film to put them in the mindset that this is actual footage was completely brilliant. No, it's, it's unbelievable, I, you know? It's, it's unbelievably brilliant. And, like, yeah, that, that counts. That's, that is meaningful, at least in my opinion. So... Um, fuck the haters, man. I I think that Blair Witch Project is like a historically important and actually pretty great movie that you know has been aped a million times over. And I think that because it inspired more gimmicks than uh, you know than great filmmakers, 
uh, has gotten kind of a, a bad rep as a gimmicky movie, I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, I mean, it's got a gimmick to it, but it doesn't use that as an excuse to to skirt by on its film. I think it's a, a legitimately impressive work of filmmaking. No, you're right. This is not a legitimately impressive work of like cinematography, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, no. I, I the only thing I'll say watching that movie now is like it's amazing how often I'm just looking at the ground. <laughs> I know. I'm like, come on, give me something. It's, just <laughs> I I'm forgiving of bad photography. It's found footage. I mean, it's fine. Um, it's true. Yeah. There, I, look. As we'll as we'll find out, as I will make you find out, there's a lot you could do with with found footage to make it more than just this shaky handy cam nonsense. But I'm, still. Look, I, I will do an entire study of it before we do that show, and uh, we will deliberate more at the time because I think of this recording, I've only seen three found footage movies in my life. So, so Blair Witch Project, Cloverfield, Cloverfield and End of Watch. End of watch. Okay, well, and that was even that movie was even half, sometimes half. just was like, oh, two, fuck, found footage. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. It was just it had no real concrete form. And eh, whatever though. Um, so okay, whatever. Two and a half. But yeah, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I want to see. Uh, I want to see wreck. Want to yeah. No, there's there's lots of stuff I want to check out. So um, yeah, you got to see wreck. Wreck two and quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. Um, you know, don't see Survival of the Dead. That that shit sucks. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> no, there's a lot more. Have, have you not seen any of the... You've seen the Paranormal Activity movies. Come on. No, I haven't. Whoa. Never once. No. You, okay, you need to see one through three. <laughs> you gotta really? watch a lot of movies. That many of them are worth watching? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say one through three are worth watching. Definitely. Wow. Wow, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that many. I thought it was going to be one of those, like, yeah, just watch the first one. The rest are shit. No, yeah. I, in fact, a lot of people consider the first one to be the worst. I'm not among them because the first one the first one was sort of like, okay, if they did, like, a bunch of sequels to It Follows that it decided to explore the nature of the beast, that would be the, like, the, the subsequent sequels of Paranormal Activity. Because Paranormal Activity, in and of itself, the first one, was really just a kind of a heavy-handed metaphor for relationship problems that's what yeah. it treated the the yeah. paranormal entity as so I, mean, and, I, think, I think i even got that and i haven't even seen it so. yeah right <laughs> and so instead of but so instead of like keeping with that or just leaving it at that the sequels decided to explore the the history and the origin of the poltergeist that was terrorizing this this poor couple um, gotcha. Which is fine, you know, it worked, and they Wait, were they were perfectly make, good scary films. But does it's that not make like, uh, does that make Paranormal Activity two a prequel? Paranormal Activity two was a prequel. Actually, Paranormal Activity okay, Paranormal Activity two was one of those interquels. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and Paranormal Activity three was a straight up prequel. So, because okay. because yeah. I mean, people are always looking for prequels that are actually good movies. And the only two I ever see mentioned are Godfather 2, which doesn't really count because it's 75% a sequel, and uh, uh, Temple of Doom, which oh. is all right. I mean, it's yeah. really, okay, it's good, but it's got its problems. So <laughs> I'm always looking for, like, non-shitty prequels wherever I can find them. So i got to make you a big list of found footage films we got to watch before, before seeing Blair I'll Witch. I'll do a whole study, man. We'll, we'll, we'll make that our dissertation on found footage as a genre. That'll be great. That'll be a whole, this is going to be great. We're, I'm so excited for this episode. All right, this episode's over. we got to start preparing. 
Fuck it. Bye, guys. See you in <laughs> six months. No, totally not. Um, shit, anything else before we get into our... I have nothing else to add. I've, I, I mean, you just blew my mind with <laughs> a random fact from Comic-Con, and um, I have nothing to add but my surprise. So that's it. But, I mean, anything else before we get to our reviews? I have nothing else, no. Okay, great. Let's just... Oh, wait. Oh, it's not a big thing. Boyhood's coming to Criterion. It's awesome. That's all you need to know. <laughs> oh, and an amazing Guillermo del Toro box set. Yeah, yeah, buy it. It's gonna be oh great. Uh, I, I looked for it on Amazon to pre-order. I couldn't find it yet. So oh, as soon okay. as they post it, I'm pre-ordering it. Shit. Can't buy it yet, but buy it in the future. <laughs> you can pre-order it on Criterion, but I mean, I'm, I don't pay for Amazon Prime for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into the, which. Which one do you want to do first? You want to do, you want to walk on eggshells first, or do you want to <laughs> travel through space? Should we? I, I feel like we need to say. Don't we usually save the more relevant film for last? Wait, I think I thought it was usually the opposite, right? Just in the nature of like our third segment type of thing. I see. We oh, always do right. like the main film, and then we. Okay. Yes, you're right. Okay, so let's let's okay. do Star Trek. Let's do Star Beyond. Trek in the Darkness. To be fair, it's probably got fewer talking points than. Uh, than it does, yeah, points, and that, so. that'll mean it can go quick. So. I I think it might. I just don't. Okay, so yeah, Star Trek beyond i almost called it in the darkness but what's going on in this one james uh you know it's really hard to track the okay so at the end of into darkness it was just implied that they're gonna go out and do their space shit now like they've gotten like the first two star trek movies by you know the the first two star trek movies in the reboot series anyway were just were basically set up to where where the characters are in any given episode of the Star Trek series, you know, it's yeah. like they're going on planet to planet and weird shit is happening. So, so well, here we are now we actually get the authentic <laughs> Star Trek experience. Yeah, and in- because this is the first, I mean, I feel, I feel justified in calling this a feature length episode of Star Trek. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right about that. Cause everything else, as it's just, it's all intro. I mean, even, even into darkness, which introduced like, Khan, it was still just an intro <laughs> of this guy. It's intro, and it implied. I mean, it kind of implied that this film or whatever came next was going to be essentially just about an entire horde of Khan's crew coming back. And it's uh, actually amazing uh, how you know, much you know, of the darkness is just completely ignored. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Dark Knight, where oh, right, yeah. Like I feel like there's callbacks here to the original Star Trek movie, and that it would actually make a pretty good double feature with the original Star Trek, and yet, In the Darkness is almost completely ignored. Um, and there was even a cliffhanger. I mean, I, I remember a cliffhanger. I, okay, to full disclosure, it has been three years since I've seen In the Darkness. I remember almost none of it. <laughs> um, uh, I look. I remember enough to know that there was probably the most disposable and therefore sexist female character. Oh, well, yeah, Alice Eve. Who was seriously just there to stand in lingerie in front of Captain Kirk. And Star Trek Beyond has a, as close of a direct apology for that as they can possibly give you. Well, it's true. And I just, I remember watching Into Darkness and seeing that part and being like, holy shit, this character is 
just an awful representation of women in cinema. I mean, like, that scene she's literally sucked. inconsequential. And then I remember yeah. there being a, being a bunch of PR about it saying like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to do more with her character in the future. It's like, no, oh, you're yeah. fucking not. Yeah, don't you love how much she was in, in this movie? She wasn't even mentioned. I don't but even you, remember who she was. I think she was... Uh, a br- she was someone's daughter. She was like, oh yeah, the, no, she was the evil guy's daughter, and, Bruce and that Green. was the one time in, in Into Darkness where you think like, oh, maybe she's gonna have some impact because she's gonna say, no, you can't blow up right. the, millenni- the Millennium the Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> you can't uh, blow up yeah. the Enterprise because That's I'm awesome. on the ship, and then he just beams her back to his ship and proceeds to blow up the Enterprise. Provided our five viewers are Star Trek fans, we just lost all of them. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, no, she was a completely disposable character. It was a completely disposable movie. And to be fair, I could almost guarantee the same thing about Star Trek Beyond. If they make a fourth Star Trek movie, which I'm sure they will. They are. It's already in. It's already it's already already in works? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, so was Spider-Man 4 before that got... That, that's true. Like, and, and it's, it's actually Spider-Man funny to go back and see like every year the films that are announced and see how many of them actually made it to the big screen. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a hurdle for every one of them, and hey, making a movie's hard. Um, but I I think the difference though is that while Into Darkness seemed to really be setting up something huge, that is, I mean, it's kind of curdled now because it like we understand unless they call back to it in the future, it not nothing of the sort played out in the end. Um, Star Trek Beyond kind of embraces how episodic and inconsequential it is in the long run. Like, it really does, yeah. Yeah. Like, there, there's no real great... I mean, this is not a strong... Uh, I will say this. It develops the characters in the sense of their interaction, uh, you know, uh, of developing them through it, their interactions with one another, but there is not a whole lot of, like, huge character building in this movie on a, like, a, a really significant scale. I think they like artificially try to put one in with like giving Spock an existential crisis. Um, Oh yeah. Which is really weird. And I didn't, I don't know how that rubbed you. I I didn't get that at all. Um, I was too busy listening to the beastie boys uh, for that one scene. (laughs) I thought that, I thought that sabotage was a mistake when they used it in the first movie. First trailer. No, the first movie. Oh yeah. 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 It was, uh, I think Kirk's favorite song when he was a kid. Oh yeah, and they were called, and they made a big joke calling it classical music, which they repeated in this that, one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was that from the original one? I think that was in the original. Yeah. Oh, shit. Like, okay, because I actually thought that was really clever, yeah. <laughs> and I forgot that it was. I like, mean, hey, look, it's it's still clever, but it's just it's reused. Done, they reused it. Yeah. <laughs> it got a laugh out of me, but I thought it was a mistake when they used it. I, I just, I, I don't like them using the beastie boys i think they could find a better song for kirk but whatever i don't know i'm sort of i look i had similar criticisms i'm sort of eating my words they used it really well they did use it pretty well in this one they, they was, used it much better than him driving the car through a desert and yeah yeah it's, it's amazing how ridiculous they were able to make that and how much they were able to make it work that um, was actually my, that was my favorite scene in the movie because i'm just like fuck yeah and just like <laughs> to, like it basically actually, got the I, mean, frequency. I, I thought Hit about it. it if you take it out of context it's pretty much the greatest beastie boys music video of all time <laughs> with the highest production value by far um 
No, I uh, look. I liked a lot of their character moments. This also had some really good lines in it with and that revealed certain aspects. Like when Kirk asks Sulu if he can fly this thing, he just the camera actually zooms in on him in like a that's a lot of fish style way. But he's just like, "It was you kidding me, sir?" Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they split this film into it, it's for the most part three pairs, um, and I think. With the exception of Kirk and Chekhov, all of like the uh, the other two are really fun to watch and funny, and actually make it, it honestly a pretty great, a pretty enjoyable viewing experience. I liked it for that reason. Um, I, I saw it with Kelsey, and she thought less of it than I did, um, mainly because and and her biggest issue, and I can't really, uh, I can't really deny this, is the. The, is is the characterization of the villain, not the performance of the villain, uh, which I have to distinguish because I it, I think that um, I don't even remember his name. Uh, Idris Elba. Well, Idris Krull. Elba. It's Krull. Krull. Uh, Krull is played wonderfully by Idris Elba, um, but in terms of, I mean, he he definitely con- conveys a threatening presence, but. In terms of like actually understanding what his character's all about, I am kind of at a loss for words. I really don't know what his character was all about. He just kind of hated the Federation. It seemed like they got stranded. his ship got stranded and then they didn't rescue him. So here's the thing. He spends most of the movie as a generic villain uh, who, again, has performed really well. Like I, I love the... Uh, I love the... Uh, inflection that Idris Elba takes on. It's not just mm-hmm. like a, it's not just like a deep villain voice. It's like kind of got an interesting accent to it. I, I really like what he did with it, but um, there's a reason that man has won two Emmys last year. Oh no, he's phenomenal. He's one of my favorite working actors right now. Um, particularly when he plays villains. Uh, oh. And seriously, I know you haven't watched the wire yet, James, you Seriously, watch The Wire. <laughs> that's where also, I, I just want to correct. I think I misspoke there. He won two Screen Actors Guilds Award ah, yes, last year. SAG Awards. Still very prestigious, though. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so he does a great job performing, but it, it's a pretty generic villain in the sense that like he's just kind of destroying things because... Um, and then there's a scene towards the end. If you wait, you know, you know after, going a after watching a significant portion of the movie, you finally get a scene that is meant to develop his character. And to me, that scene justified it. And I'm like, yeah, no, they had that scene in there and it totally explains his character. And she's like, okay, well, what was his motivation? And I'm like, well, it's simple. It was... (laughs) And then I thought to that scene and I realized that what the scene successfully did was convince me that his character did have motivation, but it didn't actually tell me what the motivation was. So So it's kind of like that... that a scene in Spider-Man that convinced in the amazing Spider-Man that convinced you that this Spider-Man was funny. We actually compared it. I I said that it was a much better version of it, but kind of like the scene in uh, amazing Spider-Man two with Electro. Oh, where he he decides to turn on Spider-Man, which is probably the worst. It's really bad. It's the worst villain creation scene of all time. Not when he actually gets his powers, but when he just decides to be evil and he's just like, you don't remember me? Even though he's like now blue and looks absolutely nothing like he did before. Um, he's like, and, no, I don't. And Spider-Man does remember him. No, he does. Oh, rem- yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But he, for a second, doesn't recognize him. And then he remembers him. And 
that's not good extra is just like yeah it's not good enough Extra's like you lied to me i don't know what he lied to him about um but then he gets really angry and starts you know trying to kill people it but no it's it's horrible no i just Um, meant that when people say that oh the andrew garfield spider-man wasn't like a wisecracker and you're like well yeah no he totally was because they had that scene they had the cops and then uh, 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 yeah so kind of to me it's like a less egregious but still problematic version of of those scenes um where it gives you the impression of something without actually delivering it or at least not communicating it effectively i didn't really from watching the film didn't really get a strong sense of what his motivation was um yeah i mean it seems like he was just mad that they didn't rescue him and it's like which but they were stranded without really an effective way to communicate so uh uh yeah, kind of dumb. But again, my problem is not with the performance. I think he, I think Idris Elba does phenomenal as always. I fucking love him. Um, and honestly, like I said, I, I take I, I realize that I kind of a lot of times take the Ebert approach to a movie where I will review it within the parameters of what I expect from a Star Trek sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I this is not going to be the Fury Road of this year, right? This is going to be <laughs> a sequel to Star Trek. Um, and for me personally, I was happy with the direction they took it. I liked that they kind of, I mean, it, it would seem counterintuitive to, see, you know, seemingly lessen the stakes. Um, cause this does not seem like a life or death. This does not seem like a, uh, intensification of what came before this, this, this actually kind of seems like a, just a one-off. I could imagine none of the new characters in this film being referenced ever again. Um, and there being no real problem with that in future films. And I'm okay. I'm honestly okay with that. Um, I, I I thought that it, they kind of like how Secret Life of Pets used the Toy Story plot to give itself an excuse to make a dumb movie where pets, stupid pets get in silly hijinks. I think that they used a pretty formulaic Star Trek plot to get these really interesting character pairs going and i thought for the most part they worked really well um particularly uh bones and spock which i think are i mean all the memorable the most memorable moments of this movie come from the interaction of carl urban and zachary quinto Uh, i think they play really well off each other and it's a relationship that i don't think we've really gotten to see too much in this series before now so that to me was is probably the biggest pro i have for this movie um the, the biggest reason to recommend it is that kind of a, you know, it, it's kind of a weak reason. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a weak movie, but it's solid. I, I had no real major qualms with it. Uh, I, to me, it fit pretty neatly into what I imagine a Star Trek sequel would and should be. I'm glad it didn't do anything egregious or over the top. I like that they just kind of, you know, narrowed the focus and uh, just kind of kept it you know, situation, you know, situational driven. That's not a real adjective, <laughs> adjective phrase, but whatever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's. I mean, I, in this I case, know. I'm taking the the very viewing experience uh, related uh, way of reviewing things where it's just like, while watching this movie, I really didn't have any complaints. Like, it, it was yeah. the prototypical, enjoyable theater yeah. movie you yeah. know like this is this was just 
raw entertainment even the most ridiculous part in the movie where if this is if this has happened in i mean shit like this has happened in other action movies and i've been able to just be like oh god that's so fucking stupid why would they do that uh and but i actually busted out laughing when when that beastie boys thing happened like I was I I I, I had so I much glee. It was the yeah. reaction. It wasn't, yeah. and it was stupid. Yes, it was stupid, but that didn't matter in the moment. Yeah, it, I agree with you. It kind of gave me that moment of elation where I'm just like, "Holy shit, I'm having a great time!" Um, <laughs> and they're having a great time too. Yeah, That's they're having good, a great you know? time. And I, I think, yeah, I think the difference is that they didn't use this stupidity as like a uh, a get out of jail free card for a plot that they you know wrote themselves into you know yeah. this isn't like oh i killed the mothership so then everything else died because if everything else didn't die then it would be really hard <sighs> yeah um i also have to commend them um that uh, of how of the final confrontation in this film. So this is something I don't even know if I've mentioned this in any of our Marvel reviews, but like, I think that almost every single Marvel movie botches its climax because to me, they end on their busiest action uh, sequence. They end on their largest set piece. They they Um, go out with a bang. Yeah. um, I think that's actually a mistake. And this this is coming from me and i have to admit i am not a i those are never my favorite scenes in any movie and even in this film the ones that the the parts i always just kind of shut off for are the space battles because to me there's not there's no real interesting there's not a whole lot of interesting choreography going on and there's not a whole lot i can glean from them to me it's just a lot of noise um there was a pretty cool point where where, uh crawl uh basically you know goes like cut the neck and all the oh yeah like I remember that part because it was actually kind of a distinctive moment of fight choreography, which you know that, that's really hard to do with a space battle. Um, and Marvel always you know has their busiest thing at the end, and I like for me it just makes what is supposed to be the like the main th- like the punch of the movie just fall completely flat because I kind of just shut off during those times. Like to me, that's the worst part of the Avengers is what's supposed to be the climax, uh, with you know the fucking you know robots swarm going through new york city yeah. it's it, it, and that is not the only marvel movie guilty of that i commend <laughs> I, I commend this film that a it's it actually kept those enormous uh like huge action space battle sequences to a minimum i think there's maybe two in the film and they don't go on too long um and like and and like you said the second one ends really awesomely and very memorably <laughs> so I have no problem with that. And also the final confrontation of this film is a one-on is like actually a one-on-one uh fight in a zero gravity environment. It's actually really cool to watch. Uh-huh. And, and I can get invested and know what's going on. I I mean this may just be a reflection of my attention span during action sequences, but <laughs> those, no, it's true they they never succeed in legitimately capturing my attention. They they're just noise to me. So when you can actually you know, have two people confronting each other and chasing each other and fighting uh, and make it comprehensive for the climax of your movie. I always give, you know, I, I'm particularly happy to see that because I think that that's kind of a lost, uh, it's kind of a lost art in modern action movies. I'm not saying it's revolutionary in any way. Um, it's still pretty, a pretty conventional climax, but I could at least, you know, get behind it, understand what's going on and, and, 
actually get caught up in it. So I'm right there with you. I was totally enthralled by yeah. watching this movie and they, they played the action sequences really well by, you know, and, I mean, honestly, like the first, even the first space battle could have been, could have been played off as a climax in other, other similar like action movies, you know, they, right. That's kind of what they knew thinking. how to order it in a way to, they knew what was, what was important to put as a climax and what wasn't, you know, I, I was thinking it would be. And honestly, when they got stranded, we didn't really describe the plot. It's very simple. They, they are out exploring worlds. The enterprise is they're out exploring worlds. They get stranded on a, well, they get attacked by. A, they get a distress call from somebody who says, "Hey, you got to help me." Some people attack my ship over here, and they're lured to this planet, which is really like a trap. They get and swarmed with, I believe they call them bees, right? Not so, the bees. Not bees. Um, they get swarmed with bees, which are just you know these tiny these ships tiny that can ships. Yeah, basically like suicide bomb. Only they yeah. don't, like blow up. They use the ships themselves as the weapons, right. which is ingenious and the, the enterprise is not prepared to fight it and it nope. gets freaking destroyed so goes down gets stranded on a planet they uh the the enterprise crew splits up uh, oh, and they're also trying to like hide this weapon that they realize that crawl was after the whole time yep um yeah so I mean, it's it's very basic i mean it's 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 almost an autopilot plot but that's not like I said, I don't have a problem with that in within the context of this movie because I think I think they use it as a vehicle. I don't think that the the focus isn't on the plot itself, at least not in my interpretation. I could see someone being bothered by it, but um, for my money, I I was I was fine with the pretty pedestrian territory that the plot covered. I, I think it was okay because they used it to actually get some interesting character moments. They, um, you know semi develop their villain and they had pretty thrilling action sequences so yeah i mean it's i I could see myself forgetting about it pretty quickly but i very much enjoyed it and i like you said i won't forget about that uh the sabotage sequence (laughs) i i won't forget about the um uh bones and spock dialogues i don't know it gave me enough to enjoy that i have no qualms recommending it nope me either so i'm uh right there with you i don't think there's much else cool. know, that we were going about we, we stayed true to our promise that would be a pretty quick one and now i'm walking on eggshells uh. and don't feel good for a plot summary of the 2006 Ghostbusters we would like to refer you <laughs> to the 1984 version of Ghostbusters <laughs> you know because I, it's I, exactly the same but with women um so that's yeah I mean sort of not really though I mean look, look the main villain in this one is just trying to unleash more ghosts upon everybody which is true about the original that their threat is more ghosts but it's not coming from a human source it's coming from um what's his fucking name God, the fucking demon um, oh uh that's ghost of the gozarian yeah right. i love the original ghostbusters man and i just saw it recently for the first time so okay let me uh-huh. you go Okay. Do wait. So, do you want to go next time? Next time. Next time. 
I was making I was referencing a joke from Ghostbusters, which oh. I'm, I'm assuming you don't remember because it's a I joke guess. from Ghostbusters. I guess not. Uh, yeah. Wait, the new Ghostbusters? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember most of the jokes in the new Ghostbusters. Um, I hope that I, I I hope that's an indication of how I feel about the movie. Um, <laughs> I, so I saw these two films in pretty much, I think the it, it, in pretty much the exact opposite order of how they were intended, and I'm happy I did because I'm not. I, so I saw the 2016 version first. Mm-hmm. I know that's considered a sin. I never saw the original Ghostbusters. Um, the thing is, we've admitted think, that on air before. So we have, we have. I think anyone who enjoyed the new Ghostbusters movie, I think that that was completely dependent on having seen the original Ghostbusters first and enjoying it and respecting the callbacks. I didn't, and I didn't understand any of the callbacks uh, while I was watching the movie. I only understood what was a callback retroactively. Um, so. From w- without the perspective of nostalgia for the original movie, I hated Ghostbusters <laughs> 2016. It was one of the least funny movies that I have ever seen that that calls itself a comedy. Um, well, man, that's a, that's the thing too. The like, uh, I've I've said it like, either the humor is going to land or it isn't. Like this is my most like neutral eggshell approach. Like I I didn't think many of these jokes were funny, but my most neutral approach would be like to say that whether or not these jokes are going to land for you is completely personal. If you're going to find this funny, great. What I what I'm going to take issue with is the style of comedy in on display is incredibly reductive okay. and um, in, in one yeah. note. So and this, that's not what you want to see. It's not what I want to see from Paul Feig. This is you know? the most Paul Feig movie I've ever This is all the worst aspects about Paul Feig. Like yeah, this is this is like this is like the movie that someone tried to do a Paul Feig movie. Yeah, everything I've ever complained about, like, I loved Spy from last year. I really did. I've saw, I've seen it again. It only gets better. I, I think Spy is actually a pretty great comedy film. It's um, really great, and it has a lot of subtlety. It's got a lot of subtlety and, and so much character. And I had my complaints about Spy because I still, I've never thought that Paul Feig's a very good visual comedy filmmaker. Um, that is absolutely true here, but he doesn't. But he also doesn't have the uh, tact with these actors to really bring the best out of them. So, look. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, what? No, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that for oh, sure. Boy. Okay, okay. I thought you were, like, no, saying I was, like, walking into a trap or something. Look, I just want to address this right up front with any potential um, – look, we're, we're two guys – um, with any potential accusations of chauvinism or uh, or uh, misogyny, here's what I'm going to say to that. I I think that these are incredibly talented performers. I have seen all of them in things that have genuinely made me crack up. I think that they're all incredibly funny comic actors. I view myself as being less sexist towards them because i know that each one of them is capable of better work than this <laughs> yeah so, right so i regret none of the criticism that i'm going to deal with this movie and so yeah fuck the eggshells man i i think this movie was one of the least funny things no, i know completely seen. completely fuck the eggshells i'm i'm 
I was going to riff off something I remember you saying about remember when everyone accused people of if of giving negative reviews of Donna Justice because they were paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and your speech was and I'm gonna just gonna riff off it to to anyone who is saying that people who don't like Ghostbust the new Ghostbusters because they're sexist, fuck off. Fuck off. I, seriously, ha, like watch the movie and sincerely ask yourself if you laughed. I I I kept track. I laughed twice, both of which were chuckles, and I only remember one of the jokes I laughed at. Um, well, it was here's the, the thing. Jo- and- it was the Jaws Mayor joke. <laughs> that made me laugh. But yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. Let me, let me, let me expand upon what I said, like about the style of comedy on display. Please and, do, because we're going to say the same thing. Yeah, and that's it. All of the humor, and I mean this a hundred percent of the humor, and even the some of the funniest jokes were were a almost entirely in dialogue. And B, completely non sequitur. And that's that they're jokes that could have been in any comedy movie. So whether or not they land with you is, I suppose, subjective. If you thought they were funny, great. A lot of them I did not think were funny at all. But whether or not they land with you, you can't argue that these jokes could have been in any movie. And really what we should be striving for for comedy is more situational, more plot-driven, more character-driven humor. Like I, I want to give I want to give two jokes as an example. One joke is Chris Hemsworth because his entire character is a joke. God. That entire character could have been in any other movie. <laughs> Regarding this, he could have been in any other side. I've any, heard he could have been a side character in any comedy movie. I've heard of some people talk about him as a highlight of this movie. I do not get that at all. I think he was incredibly unfunny. Uh, I don't he's, know. I, I like some bits for him. No, so. he's a stupid secretary. Like I've like okay. Maybe well, the other thing I chuckled at was like him, uh, like rubbing his eyes when a loud, like when there's a loud noise, because apparently he thinks that's where he hears things from. Um, I, I liked when Kristen Wiig threw the sandwich away and someone threw it right back at him. Like the, you know, these things get a chuckle. Yeah. Okay. But, and then, and then the other one was this like this wonton thing. You know, oh, God. Like she, she's never getting the right amount of wontons. You know, and they they actually play that through the film. And at some points, it was, I I liked this joke better than others. It, it, it got me a few times, but I again, that I joke could have been in any movie. It did not have to be in this movie, <laughs> and it's only in this movie out of like lazy comedy, la- lazy comedy writing. It's, I, I, yeah, I hated that joke because it doesn't really. I mean, it's like it could have been in any movie, but it's also like it's just there to be funny. Like it doesn't. There's no actual reason within the universe of that movie that that joke has to be a thing. If you don't like the fucking Chinese food, go somewhere else. And I know that's a really literalist and, and kind of reductive way to think about it, but I don't know. I guess that's the like to me, it's like the the lowest tier of comedy. Like, okay, you're gonna make a joke about you not liking the Chinese food. Like, who the fuck? That's what is that doing in this movie? If you're gonna, if you're going to, like, have such minute detail be the premise of a joke, why not at least have it, you know, make sense in the world of these Ghostbusters? Like, I don't. So to me, okay, sorry, I'm going off on. I think I'm, I think I'm losing myself to, to, my own Ooh. anger here. Okay, I dropped my phone. Was oh. worried it cracked it. I didn't. Oh, <laughs> glad you did. Um, so here's my problem with the comedy in this movie because it, it, it's consistent throughout the entire thing. It's got a very strict formula to it. Um, and it, 
the foundation of the problem with it is that it is dialogue driven, but it's not just that it's all dialogue. It's that it's a dialogue and every single time there's a setup which is explained through dialogue, a punchline which is explained through dialogue, and an explanation of the joke also explained through dialogue. <laughs> The best example that I have, and I think maybe the most agreed, like th- this is where it really hit me why the comedy wasn't working for me in this film, was the scene where Leslie Jones shows up with the hearse that is to become their new Ghostbusters vehicle. She shows up with the hearse. You can clearly see it's a hearse. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, that's the beginning of the joke. And they explain, oh, oh it's uh, you brought a hearse? And I'm like, okay, they explain it. Um, it's like... Yeah, it's like, oh, there's not a dead body in the back, is there? It's like, I don't think there's a dead body in the back. Oh, there's probably a dead body in the back. And they never actually check the back. Um, But the joke is supposed to be that there might be a dead body in the back because it's a hearse. All of which was communicated verbally um, and also explained verbally. And I don't understand how anyone could organically laugh at that after it was basically handed to you, explained, and then uh, just kind of left to flounder and die. Like, to me, that's, that's the structure of the entire... Like, I think it was it's supposed to be kind of like the Paul Feig, Judd, Judd Apatow style of improv. Um, well, that's what I was just going to say. My real hot take on this is that a lot of the jokes that really didn't work for me were jokes where it was incredibly obvious that they were improving. Improv should... When improv, especially in comedy films, should not be obvious. I should not be no. able to tell that you're improving. Well, and did any of this feel like organic improv? I think that all these actresses would be amazing if they could organically improv with one another. Like, if they were just in a random, you know, just a movie about, you know, four women and they could kind of inhabit their characters. In this, they were confined to the roles of these Ghostbusters and none of the, like, ad-libby scenes felt organic at all. They just seemed incredibly forced and, like, didn't fit into... Like, I can't count how many scenes in this just felt like they were biting time. This movie felt so fucking long. padded, so padded. No, and the worst example for me of this improv was when uh, Melissa McCarthy's character is trying to communicate with the bad guy and explain why the world's not so bad. And she's like, "There's plenty of good things in the world, like soup and um, um, oh, fuck. All I can think um, of is soup. I uh, 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 oh fuck. All I can think of is soup. And then Leslie Jones says salad. You know, it's like." I can tell you're improving right oh, now. Yeah. I, uh, I will, if you can show me a script that, where that was written down as a line that you had to deliver, I will eat my fucking hat. I will eat just, every hat here. It's just taking a not funny. See, it's taking something that's not funny in the first place. It would be like the most throwaway of throwaway jokes in a better comedy if it would even be in it at all. And they run with it for like thirty seconds. And I know it doesn't seem like a long period of time, but for the love of God, it's just when it's that again and again and again, and I'm waiting for an actual joke to really like grab me. I was just, I, I got really frustrated after a while. It's yeah. I, I uh, and there was another joke well. right before the like tech gadget jerk off scene, mm-hmm. um, the gadget porn scene <laughs> Yeah, where, I don't remember the joke, but I remember the characters laughing in such a way where I'm like, wait, you guys just broke character with that laugh. Like, I, I see <gasps> yes! you guys giving yes! each other a look there. That. that was like a brief glimmer of hope. I'm like, <gasps> are we going to see some real people? Holy shit. No. no. Maybe. No, no, we're not. Cut away immediately. And here's one thing. Everyone is jizzing themselves over Kate McKinnon. She was by far the least interesting oh my character God. here. She was I... in one note, which is just 
eccentric. <laughs> I feel like Paul Feig went up to her and said, oh, you're insane. the eccentric character. Yeah, you're really goofy. I can tell because you have the big glasses. Yeah, right? You're always doing something silly off screen. Like, honestly, every single time they're like, oh, yeah, this actor gave a standout performance. I've heard people praise performances in this movie. I don't get what they're talking about. I don't know. I will say, you know, and it doesn't sound like you're on the same page with me, but I will say that I enjoyed Leslie Jones. I wish she had more to work with. I did not enjoy Leslie Jones. Um, Again, not necessarily because of Leslie Jones herself. I think the character is incredibly weak. No, I mean, her character was the strongest, I think. It actually had some, some like, it's just, it, it's fundamental problems like because she has some intrigue in that. arc, right? What? Are, are you saying that because she, she did kind of have an arc? Well, she did kind of have an arc, and she also had some sort of, like, you know, character details. Like, she, you know, you, it's led on that she knows a lot about the historical significance of certain certain areas and buildings in New York City. Did and that that's great. Do they ever like, expand yeah, upon that? that ever? Does it ever come back up at a climactic moment? No. So I don't give a shit what they, like, say a character knows or embodies or what their role is. Like, I think at one point she says, you know, I know New York. I know the streets. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm pre- I, maybe she doesn't say I know the streets. I, but like, it's I'm not trying to be right. I I because the thing is I think they have her as like supposed to be the street smart character, and it just seems like it's from a movie from like 30 years ago. Like there was a meme before this movie came out, and I was kind of hoping that the actual 2016 Ghostbusters would prove it wrong. Um, but I kept oh about how she's just the it, it held up Winston who was the token black character from the original Ghostbusters. And it describes him uh, thusly, and I'm quoting, intelligent, self-sufficient everyman who becomes an essential part of the Ghostbusters team. Totally factual. That's what the original character of Winston was. He becomes a valuable member of the team. He is smart, um, but he doesn't quite fit in. And he eventually integrates his, you know, he, he integrates into the group and he becomes essential. Uh, and with Leslie Jones, it is a uh, loud, violent, uneducated stereotype who screams about the devil and Jeebus. Mm-hmm. And apart from what they, verb- once again, verbally ascribe to her character, that's all she does in this movie. No, it's, it's true. There's just there's not, there's not much there. Her, her character did have an arc, and it had the most potential for something interesting behind her. And I'm not something... I don't need it to be explained. You know, well, why does she know all this about hi- history? Whatever. I don't, I don't need it to be explained. I feel like I either needed to be explained or I needed to matter and it didn't matter at all. It's like this, this function as like someone looking up the Wikipedia page on their way to a new event, you know, it's all it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think my biggest problem is that everything, everything that I was supposed to feel about this movie, supposed to feel like the filmmakers intended me to feel was explained to me throughout the movie. None of it happened organically. All of it was, all of it felt forced and, and flabby padded, like you said. Um, and my God, I, I mean, this might be the worst climax to any film I've seen so far this year. Oh man. Just, I cannot stand this trend of uninspired cg battles like it people just shoot the, cg at each other biggest and, i think that this is almost as bad it, just in terms of like i mean because 
this is the one these are like the visual moments in the movie this is where it's supposed to be the big set piece the final confrontation with the, all the ghosts running amok in new york um mind you these ghosts were let loose by the dumbest villain of all time just a disgruntled guy who hates the world and wants to unleash a bunch of ghosts and kill everyone super uninteresting um someone made a point that uh th- that this film essentially uh, they gave it a feminist reading and essentially said that uh the villain of this movie represented the uh internet trolls who were well, it's, it's pretty villains. obvious that yeah that's I, I, he's it, actually like this. Did, it actually didn't occur to me until i read that so i felt a little uh yeah, <laughs> I mean, what, he's this like nerdy disgruntled man who you yeah know, no one likes him and that's like what these people what everyone considers like ghostbusters fanboys and what does he want to do he wants to release more ghosts because he really likes the ghosts yeah i i got the, i didn't get that reading until i heard about it afterward and it makes perfect sense i'm kind of embarrassed i didn't pick up on it while watching the film but regardless he's a terrible it's it's a really we i mean that gives it a little more intrigue to me kind of a bit of meta-ness but it's still just a weak villain um and yeah i i think the actual final confrontation with all the ghosts i think it looks almost as bad as the climax to fantastic four <laughs> almost not, not quite i wouldn't i would say this is like an x-men apocalypse climax where it's I, just I, that... I did not see it so i can't oh well, it's just that standard schmeck of everything that you saw is sort of irrelevant because now these characters are going to shoot CG at each other until one person's CG wins over the other person's CG. It's yeah. just it's it's completely uninspired and it's it's kind of like what you were saying in 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 our Star Trek review that there's just action scenes that you can just check out, you know, uh, yeah. while watching. You don't need to you don't need to pay any attention because it's just on autopilot. You know what's going to happen. You know how it's going to happen. It's just a matter of what you're going to do with yourself in the meantime. Half of that scene is just shitty callbacks. Like you get Slimer stealing the ghost, uh, you know, the the Ghostbusters hearse. And Dan Aykroyd in the cab. Yep. You get the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And none of it. I mean, was there a moment where you actually felt like, honestly, in this whole film, was there a moment that you legitimately felt danger? (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> i never once felt uh, like i mean i understand it's a comedy but like at least the original ghostbusters seemed to have stakes i honest to god never felt anything like the cgi ghosts were the least threatening things i've ever seen on film it was pathetic that they were supposed to be the main confrontation it's like there's this stereotype of like that you know for women in movies that that i've heard uh articulated before much better than i'm about to do it now that basically women uh that basically filmmakers avoid like genuine conflict for women in movies um or at least with female focused movies they try and steer away from like really serious conflict and just kind of you know stick to character interactions and plot inconveniences um that's kind of how this entire climax felt to me it felt completely stripped of real suspense and like actual presence it just was a bunch of cgi shit splattered on the screen and them you know use as a vehicle to make them come together as a team um and i god i couldn't have been less interested really truly it was also they didn't seem to be concerned at all with crossing their the beams of their uh 
uh, yeah. uh, crossing the beams of potentially creating a, a hole, a rip in the space-time continuum. Well, so, okay, I, I'm I not, feel like that wasn't. A se- I'm not a serious. That's not a serious complaint. I was just joking. Yeah, no, I'm like we can't okay. we can't no, simultaneously I'm, complain that they they stick too closely to the formula and say, well, why didn't you reference that? No, that, was, that was a joke. I wasn't actually. <laughs> yeah, I will say you you talked about um, you know things with with Paul Feig, you know calling it the worst thing everything about him you know what i remember in our spy review i had a question of whether or not paul feig was particularly good at creating characters and i remember at the time at the spy review you sort of rebuffed me about that you said no 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 he he could do this and you made a very good argument for the characters both in spy and in his previous movies and i said okay that's fine I'm I'm swinging for the fences now. Man. I, I I still hold that Spy had great characters. Particularly, it, it yeah, particularly, no, I, particularly, oh my god, particularly Melissa McCarthy's character. She was really good. She was great, and he could actually communicate things about her without using words, without explaining everything. He could use like little nuances in her performance to actually enhance how we, uh, you know, how we interpreted that character. That was. You know, I would never call Paul Feig a good visual filmmaker, but he at least had some more nuance in that, and he, I think, understood the characters he was dealing with more. This, I, I didn't get any sense that he really understood who these Ghostbusters. Like honestly, every single one of these Ghostbusters could be described in a three-word phrase, and they never once deviate from those phrases the entire movie. The, Kate McKinnon, the wild card. Kristen Wiig, the straight woman. Like, it's... I don't know. I could not get invested in them at all. And I'm not saying that because they're women. I have been invested in all of these actors in different things before. I mean, three of them I've loved on SNL. Melissa McCarthy, I loved in Spy last year. I I think her movies are generally hit or miss, but overall, I, I consider myself a fan of her. I... I just think that they are victims of horrible material in this movie. Um, they're all talented. I would never deny it, but and they you know, just, I've, I've said this too that from if if you're just talking about on a purely utilitarian perspective, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that there is a prominent predominantly female-led movie, um, an entirely female-led movie, that is becoming profitable. These people, not only are these women, these particular women acting, getting good, getting a good gig, in this case, getting jobs, mm-hmm. now hopefully more studios will say, oh, hey, this, these kind of movies can be profitable. Let's make more. And hopefully they'll make good ones. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm... I'm ecstatic about that because I'm you know I know we've we've talked about it ad nauseum about the problem of diverse diversity in the films that are made yeah. you know uh, so I'm I'm glad for that but it doesn't change the fact that this I, movie left me wanting so much more right because I know people. they're capable of more I like I have heard some people really praise aspects about this movie that I do understand but that I kind of I kind of view it in the same way that I view um, like when people overly praise a horror movie because it doesn't have something in it that is a cliche of the genre. Oh yeah, it's like, like this horror like, movie didn't I'm, have any jump scares. Like, so like it's I'm great. not a, like I'm not a huge fan of this like th- like this cinema of absence where like you you praise something for not being in the movie and that makes it good. Like I don't get me wrong, I'm really happy that like even though there's 
like a male secretary who Kristen Wiig idolizes or or, ogles over, not idolizes. She ogles over him just like kind of as a piece of meat, kind of in a way that I'm, you know, I mean, honestly, Bill Murray did for, yeah, exactly the same way because is kind of sexist. Um, But no, it really was. Yeah. It's several times. I can't, yeah. I can't deny it. There's some. There's definitely some. Stuff. At the same time, though, and I've said this before, I'm really, I'm not one to be fault the movie to fault the movie for being of its time. You know, I mean, right. well, I can look I... at it through the lenses now and say, hey, we should want better. We should want better now. But I'm not going to be like, oh, this movie's so awful. Yeah, that's how I view it too. I, I mean, I don't really have a problem with it, but it, because it is of its time and place is why I don't have a problem with it at all. If if that shit was in a movie today, I would take some more qualms with it. But, you know, that's... Besides, I mean, I just that, got done... That's personal. That's a personal taste thing, you know. I, I, I understand if it rubs someone really the wrong way and, like, they can't stomach... You know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I um, just got done chastising Into Darkness again for for having that one character. Oh, God. That was Honestly, insane. I'd be surprised if she even had a name. I, I call her Alice Eve because that's the, that's the actress's name, and I know yeah. the actress, but she's actually really smart, too. She's uh, She had a pretty awesome philosophical discussion with craig ferguson on his show um wow. it was actually awesome and i got a lot of respect for her from that and i'm like wow and they just used you for tna and a movie in a star trek movie that really sucks um yeah. so but like like I, I agree it's cool that none of these women at any point are sexualized really even in the slightest um and that they get to be, you know, that Kristen Wiig gets to objectify a man, and that there's no love interest. Um, that's awesome. I, I like the breaking of that formula. Although in this sense, it's basically just the male formula, but you make it women, like you just flip off the gender. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. But I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that's a positive development. I think we should move in that direction. But that doesn't, like, that's just things they left out of the movie that would normally be saddled on women uh, and their performances that weren't saddled on them here. And to me, that's not, that's not enough to make me ogle at the movie. I understand that that meant something to a lot of people watching it, but eh, not really for me. <laughs> like I, like well, I, yeah, I mean, you like that it didn't go there, but like, well, I feel what, like you got to want more than just they didn't do this. Right, I mean, and exactly. we've like, gotten more you, than that. Like, what can you give me? Like, uh, what can you? I understand you're not doing this. You're not falling into these, you know, these traps that most female-driven films, and particularly female-driven comedies, fall into. That's awesome, and I respect that. But what can you give me? Mm, Look, and call, call it an unfair comparison, and you you probably have a point there. But I mean, this is what everyone loved about. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road and particularly yeah. Furiosa. It wasn't just that, oh, she wasn't a subordinate to the male character. Oh, she didn't have a love interest. You know, it, it's everything that was there that was about her fighting for the, honestly, the sexual liberation of other women, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Like, yeah. that's something I can, that's something that the film gave me that I can take home. It's not just what, what she didn't do. I mean, God, they gave Furiosa development as a character, and they left a lot implied. They implied so much, and they kind of left a lot of it, you know, a lot of her history uh, a secret, and that only made her more intriguing. You you learned a bit about her, in, you know, through context clues, but uh, the rest of it, you just kind of had to, you know, in, interpret what you could, and, you know, it just, it I don't know, it overall made for 
an incredibly badass and yet very human character that I think everyone will remember for a long, long time. Um, I can't say, I do not remember a single one of these Ghostbusters names. <laughs> I think, uh, um... Abby, Abby, I think Melissa McCarthy's one, uh, Abby, really? Abby. I think so. Huh. I, okay, that's well... it. I, I, that's it, man. I just cannot. Ugh. Yeah. I really, really dislike well, and this is the thing, too. I feel like this is one of those movies that we would not be being so harsh on it if there wasn't so much potential here. Like, we weren't even as hard on, like, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Because, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, because that's kind of a piece of shit anyway. Like, it's... I don't know. It's A piece of shit's too strong. But, like, yeah, I mean, it had, it had two... Look, look uh, Two or three pretty prominent actors who we want to see do good things, but we still weren't expecting much from it. Whereas, like, I Ghostbusters... Think I got, I think it has Paul Feig. I think it's because I got... I, they were dumb laughs, but I got laughs from Mike and Dave new wedding dates. I, I, like I said, I laughed twice in this. <laughs> Didn't it? I understand. I get some people think this is funny. It, it is not my. T- I mean, comedy is very subjective anyway. So, uh, you know, it, it is not my style of comedy. I could not, in good conscience, sincerely laugh at this. It is. It, it falls flat. I'm sure it's flat on the page and it's flat on screen. I there's nothing on the page, Mike. I'm telling you, it's just it's all say in- some funny shit. That's what's on the page. Uh, yeah. Um. So, yeah. Call me misogynist, whatever. I look. Some people love it, and I can't even like. I can't imagine walking away from this. I get it. Like I can imagine walking away being like, yeah, it was all right. You know, I. I, I personally just thought I wasted like I, I felt like I had been cheated out of my money but like you know I can get I can get justifying it like yeah it's all right I some people loved it and I don't I couldn't imagine having an impassioned response to this in the slightest it's like it, even if you enjoyed it I can't imagine anyone will be talking about it in more than a month like it's funny because there's all this online discussion over it. Um, lots of you know back and forth and vitriol on both sides. I mean, don't get me wrong; there have been some legitimate misogynists who have just like trash talked it without seeing it. Oh yeah, like more, Trust way women. more so than anything like Fury Road actually had. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that but was this one. is like way more it, legitimate. I feel of a bad. Backlash. I feel bad for bringing that up, like when we talked about Fury Road, because I realized that it was literally one guy who hadn't seen the movie, and it caused this whole media shitstorm, and we just fueled the fire. And by we, I just mean everyone who commented on it. Um, we, we fueled the fire of a of a, an outrage that wasn't even really there in the first place. So, um, and this outrage is here. This it is, is here. unjustified. So, so I understand. My moral is don't don't hate this movie because it starts women hate it for the right reasons because it's unfunny and uh, undeserving of the talent behind it is what I will say about it. It. It's, and, no, it's really like it's the squandering of the talent. All these actresses are great. Chris Hemsworth is great. Paul Feig is great. Honestly, this is of the four most prominent Paul Feig movies. I know he's directed like a few before that, um, but being Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy, and now Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters is easily the worst for me. It's the worst one I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I've seen, I've seen, I've seen The Heat. I've seen Bridesmaids. I've seen Spy. E- even The Heat. I actually got I love some the, genuine you know, I actually, enjoyment out like, of. 
I really like the heat. <laughs> no, I know. When I watched it, I, I thought it would be crappy because it looked crappy and because it, it got like crappy. mediocre reviews or whatever. And then I watched it on HBO one day and I was like, this is this is fucking great. Yeah. And um, also, I will say, the marketing of this movie was terrible. It really was. Like, even if you liked it, this is one of the worst marketed movies I've ever seen. Uh, it highlighted i mean the original trailers highlighted all the most flat unfunny parts of the film and then like the newer trailers of it that are like you know kind of highlighting different reviews they are calling out people who are hating on the movie online they're just being like it's like like i don't know like they'll 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 cite a good review and then they'll just be like you know it's like face it haters or some shit like that it's like you know Oh people, man, I saw someone was like, it's "Now that smug shit, I've now that Ghostbusters smug. have been proven to stand on its own and be genuinely funny, I'm like, to who? Who proved <laughs> that? It's gotten like lukewarm reviews at best. At best, yeah, it's like a sixty on Metacritic. Yeah, something like that. It's, I mean, it's mixed. You like it? It it's mixed. Look, and I, oh, look, I say this in fairness, in that I have gone on record criticizing the in the. Insufficient rating systems across the board, but still, it's not as though with that with those metrics in mind, you can't act like you have this whole like legion of supporters and that you're even on like what people will call the right side of history. By all accounts, this movie isn't very good. I I think it will be forgotten very quickly. I don't think that this will be considered. I mean, I may eat my words, but I don't think that this will be considered any kind of milestone for women in movies. Um. <laughs> bold claim I guess hey if I'm wrong I can always you know I can always include it in my stupid shit I said segment sometime but uh, I I just don't I don't see this lasting two months let alone two decades you know it's this is a movie that a lot of people got worked up over for no reason Uh, I view it as terminally unfunny Um, I'm glad some people could get I mean, I'm glad some people enjoy it. I, I truly am. I wish I could have enjoyed it more. I know these actresses are are capable of better, and that that's my response to anyone who says I don't like it because I'm a misogynist. <laughs> Fuck that. These are these women are funnier than I will ever be, and that's sure. I, I <laughs> and <laughs> I know that they're capable of a lot better. So, um, yeah, I I. Like I said, still still a fan of, of all of them. I will continue watching Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones on SNL, or at least on the various sketches of SNL that I watch on Hulu, because who watches through the whole show anymore? And, uh, <laughs> you know, Krista Wiig and Melissa McCarthy have starred in a bunch of movies I love. I'm sure they'll star in many more that I love. And this is not, this is not one of them. Yeah, we'll probably leave it on that, leave it at that. Um... Yeah. And then we'll go vote Trump later, but... Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't until I watched this movie that I actually realized that uh, I'm a Trump supporter, according to uh, Judd Apatow, because only Trump supporters wouldn't like this movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, we don't agree with anything he has to say. Um, see, what bugs me is that that's just a shitty, smug thing that Judd Apatow said, but I feel like the marketing team is using that as their inspiration for how to construct trailers for this movie. Or, or to construct TV spots for this movie. Oh, yeah, a lot of them pulled the, the New York Times quote, which is, women are funny, get over it. 
That's it. Yeah. Wow, really? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I honestly think I'm having trouble coming to coming to terms with the idea that women are. I was funny. like, what? Fuck are you. Th- listen to our spy review. I was like, go back you- and listen to our review of spy and tell me we have some problem with funny women. Fuck you. My, yeah, my reaction to this is wait, when was it called into question that women could be funny? I never heard that. I. You're being the fucking misogynist because you felt like you still had to prove it. I, honest to God, did not doubt that these women could be funny. I've seen them all be funny. It's. I don't know. This is. I think this goes back to my like whole argument that you only really eliminate, you know, prejudices when you don't have to draw attention to the fact that you are eliminating those prejudices. Yeah. Like when it's just taken as a fact that women can be funny, not, you don't feel like you have to be on the defensive and prove it. And don't get me wrong, sometimes you do have to prove things and say, "Look, you know, th- there's been a bias, and you know, we, whatever." But I just don't feel like this is something that is in question anymore. I'm sure there are some asshole, you know, sexists out there who don't think that women are funny, and fuck them. But. I, this is not something that needs to be proved to me. I don't think it needs to be proved to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Trump's leading in the polls. I could be wrong. But <laughs> I, I, I only have exactly one thing to apologize for for this entire episode. And that's mm-hmm. my dang cat, Merlin. Stop yelling back here. I mean, he sounds really cute. So I mean, I, <laughs> he is really cute. Sometimes I, his meows comes off of like squawks. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, he's been particularly active. He's he's actually been mostly docile, just kind of laying in his tower or sometimes on my desk most of this episode. But yeah, in this last ten minutes or so, he's, he's like, "You're rambling too much. End it now." Or maybe he just like really likes Ghostbusters. You know? Yeah, maybe. I'm sorry, bro. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Anyway, yeah. Um, next week was there's a lot of stuff coming out and i want to see are you able to see hunt for the wilder people because i am uh yeah yes i am yes i am yeah yeah so i mean this weekend there's jason Bourne, bad moms hunt for the wilder people and i'm also going to be able to see captain fantastic so what the fuck is Captain Fantastic? Oh, really? That's been getting like a lot. Of, I thought I figured you would have heard of that. That was I figured you would have heard about that one. That one's getting a lot of play. I've literally never heard about it, but I can see that one too. It's got like um, Vigo Mortensen in it. And- yeah. Holy shit, man. Okay, I'm realizing that I have apparently been jacked out of the world of movies for oh a few weeks now, <laughs> so, if not longer. So I think I need to get back into it, man. This is kind of nuts. Um, Sometimes it takes a while to get back in the swing of things. <laughs> this is information the world needs to know. <laughs> what do you think about the conspiracy theory that Alfred's secretly Bruce Wayne's father? <laughs> Scandalous. Just saying. What else would what else would explain the incredibly emotional reactions that Alfred has in The Dark Knight Rises? You know, so aside from the fact I have not been able to watch that movie the same way since someone pointed out to me that he in every scene he starts out normal and ends crying (laughs) (laughs) it's insanely emotional in that movie it's like every every scene he just walks in he's fine and then he just talks a bunch and then starts crying 
It's like, dude. I remember that even stood out to me watching it. I'm like, look, I know Alfred is very emotionally attached to Bruce. That makes sense. He's been, he's known him his whole life and has basically been a father to him. But goddamn, he just turned on the waterworks for <laughs> rises. Yeah. Like in the end scene with him in the cafe, <laughs> you know, they cut to what he is looking at, which I think is a mistake. But I almost expect. I'm surprised they didn't cut back to him. Like, <laughs> just bawling. It's <laughs> <laughs> like tears streaming down his face like crazy. Must have wait. Oh, by the way, if you want to fit this in our Star Trek review, go ahead. But did you get that text I sent you about how I think it should have ended? Oh, wait. Uh, I think so. I okay, just, I don't so remember off the top of my head. My joke of how Star Trek Beyond should have ended is. You know, they're all looking at the Enterprise, and Spock just goes, it's like, boy, it sure looks like we're in for a real Star Trek. And then Kirk <laughs> to him is like, say that again. Wait, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wait, I got an idea. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, to me, that's like one of the legendary bad endings of all time. Like, I think that that will go down in history. I think it'll become one of the most memorable, terrible endings of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I hope so because it's really remarkable. But I also think everyone's just gonna collectively pretend that that movie never happened, which is fine. It's it's definitely fine. But I just it's like I actually like it. I don't know. It's almost like parts like that of of Fantastic Four are actually already starting to verge into so bad it's good territory for me. <laughs> I gotta say, it's fantastic. Say that again. Come a long way from the garage. <laughs> God, what a piece of shit. Yeah, anyways. I, Ghostbusters was not as bad as Fantastic Four. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It was more of a squandering of talent, I will say. But. It was squandering of talent. Okay, I think that this just goes along with... Look, at least I have a method to my madness. I, in general, I say I get more upset when I feel that there was potential there and it was wasted than if it was just kind of like secret life of pets, not a great movie. I was willing to give a lot of shit in that movie a pass because I never really felt like it aspired to much more in the first place. The good dinosaur. I know Pixar's can do better. I know Pixar can do better. That movie got me more upset. Um, well, then I took issue when you got you more upset than, you know, I was upset with like Jurassic world and you, and I was like, dude, no, you cannot be more upset at the good dinosaur than you are with Jurassic World. Uh, yeah, okay. I fine. My maybe my priorities were a little skewed. But I I still hold to it, man. I look, this is I, I still think that in terms of potential No, I mean you I made saw, a valid argument. I understand it. I still got more upset at uh at Jurassic World, but that's fine. I understand why you did. We got increasingly upset at Jurassic World. Like over time, every single it's funny because we reviewed it. We were both like really lukewarm is not even the right word. I mean, we were negative, pretty pretty decisively, but you know, not like incensed at it, just kind of indifferent. But like as As time went on, like the next four shows after that, we just kept referencing it again and again because it was still topping the box office. We're like, fuck this fucking movie. Yeah, it's essentially a four-part descent into madness review. Yeah, and now we've Jurassic World. 
and now we both despise it forevermore. Like it's, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Anyways, I I think we're probably done here. We've, it is. We've uh, tangented yeah. off our review pretty well, and okay. so, so next I, week is going to be some combination of Captain Fantastic, which is a movie you sh- you were going to learn about, uh, <laughs> Hunt for the <laughs> Wilder People, Bad Moms, and or. Jason Bourne. So we'll just roll the dice, to see what we actually watch, and then talk about whatever we can. Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll be fun. So uh, it was a great show this week. It's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>